time I spoke to you, uh, we were finishing off the foundational series that we read about in Hebrews chapter 6, those foundations that we are going to build our Christian life on. They're called the foundations not of the church, but of Christ himself. Therefore, we must believe that Christ had these foundations in him, and so he wants us to operate in the way that he operated. The last one we finished on was the judgment seat, or eternal judgment. Everyone who has ever been born will come before Christ's judgment seat. If you're a Christian here this morning, you will come before the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be a judgment of condemnation because your sin has been judged in Jesus Christ. So the judgment that you will receive is a judgment based on your service, not your sin. And that's a relief to all of us, isn't it? Our sin will never be brought before us because it was all dealt with when Christ went to the cross. It is an appointment that you must all keep. You say, well, it's, it's sometime in the future when I've either passed on or then God has resurrected me or sometime in the future. But be sure of this, it is an appointment that you must keep. You will stand before Christ. You will stand before him on your own. Your wife, your husband, your pastor, the church, they will not be there. You will stand before Christ on your own. And if you are born again, of which most of you are this morning, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one who died for you, it will be a judgment on what you have done in your life and how you have done it. It will be a judgment based on Christ gave you things to do in your life. He graced you and he gifted you, and his judgment will be on that. And whether you have done these things by the empowerment of God's grace in you, Paul makes a reference to this judgment, so I did share some things what I thought the judgment would be, but it's, it's more. So I want to share with you a passage where Paul speaks about the judgment, and it's very clear from this what we can expect. I don't want you to have any surprises. I don't want you to get there and say, I sat in that church with Philip for years, and he never told me about this. Why didn't he prepare me? Why didn't he explain to me? Why didn't he show me from the scriptures what I would have to face on this day? He's to blame. <laughs> and to some extent, I will be to blame if I don't open up the counsel of God to you and warn you, yes, I have a responsibility. I can't just stand in front of you week by week, blah, 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 Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. That's, that's not good news to you. You know that. You need more. So what I'm going to give to you today is of vital importance to your life. 
I think that for every sermon I ever preach. If you don't get this, you're going to die. But let me say, this is, this is vital. This is vital for you. So don't drift. Please don't turn away. It's only for 40 minutes. I think that this is the most important 40 minutes of your week. Because God wants to speak to you about eternal issues in your life. And if you don't listen and you don't know, disappointment comes to you. Heartache comes to you. You say, well, that sounds a bit arrogant. No. I dig deep so I can bring the whole counsel of God to you. So please listen. This is what Paul says with reference to the judgment. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 10. By the grace that God has given me. That is a really important statement. Many times Paul says, by the grace that God has given me. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, I am not talking out of myself, my humanity, my wisdom, my anything. I am speaking to you because God's grace is operating through me. God has called me to a ministry and I am functioning under the anointing and the grace of God. And you, in your life, can do no less than Paul. What you do and how you live your life and what you've done in your life, it has to be what God has called you to do and empowered by his grace. If it hasn't, none of that will count in the judgment. That's what he explains here. I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Paul has laid the foundation through Romans and other books about our salvation. Now you build on that foundation that he has laid. It is your responsibility to build your life with God. It's not Paul's, it's not mine, it's yours. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth, the foundation of your life. Your life is built on everything that Christ has said. If you're building on anything else, it's a waste of time in the final analysis. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, which is judgment day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, the fire that is, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. For eternity, he will suffer loss forever and ever and ever. That's why we get this right. And if we've lost time, we need to make up time before we move on to this judgment place. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire. Your salvation at the judgment seat of Christ is not in question. 
Christ was judged in your place. You were in Christ when he was crucified, therefore that judgment has passed on to Christ. But it's what we've done with our lives. He says, when you stand before Christ, your life will consist of what you have built. Gold, silver, or costly stones, or wood, or straw. When the fire comes upon what you have built, you know if it's wood and straw, it will be consumed by the fire. That's what you sing about this morning. Consuming fire. It's what Eva said. We want gold to come forth. We want anything else to be burnt up from our life. Better it be burnt up now than on the judgment day. Better there be no wood and straw in your construction of your life, but it be gold and silver and precious stones. I want all of my life to be that. A lot of my life was wasted. I've done what I wanted to do. And I, I operated out of my virtue and not his grace. All of that will be consumed by fire. Even the good stuff that I did in my strength, thinking this is what I should do, will count nothing to God. Only what he has called you to do and graced you to do. That's why you need to be doing what you're meant to be doing. Are you a preacher? Then preach. Don't say no one invites me. Find a place. Why do you think I go to Chingford? Why do you think I go to Sri Lanka? Why do you think I go all over the world? I have to preach the gospel. I can't preach it to you every week. You need to hear other voices. So if I'm not here, you can be sure I'm preaching. I'm preaching somewhere because it's the call that is on my life. I have to take every opportunity because that is what God has graced me with and that is what my reward will consist of. What has he graced you with? Are you doing it? You say, I don't even know what he's graced me with. Shame on you. You must find out. And you must give yourself to that which God has empowered you to give. So before the judgment of Christ, there will be wood and straw built on, us, on this foundation. And there will be gold, silver and precious stones. And that which is not gold and silver will be consumed by fire. The warning here is, be careful that it isn't all wood and straw. Because if it is, you will stand with only a foundation and no life built on the foundation. That's scary. And he says this will happen because these people will get in by the skin of their teeth. They will get in because what Christ has done for them. But their reward does not exist. They're in, but with no reward. We were all born with virtues. That is the goodness or the good character that was in us. Before you came to Christ, whatever you did that was virtuous counts for nothing. Nothing. You say, hang on a minute. I came to Christ when I was 50 and I did a lot of good stuff. Counts for nothing. Nothing. It only counts your life from the minute you come to Christ because he graces you 
with a calling on your life which he never did before. And his life in you has to be what flows out of you to be of any value to God. The virtues that we live by, if they're natural in our Christian lives, are useless. You say, I'm I'm a pretty kind person. There is a limit to my kindness. That's your virtue. Useless. You say, I love as much as I can love. Useless. That's your love, your patience, your generosity, your kindness. It's no good. It's no good. You can't operate out of your virtues. You've got to operate out of his grace that is living in you. Because your virtues flow out of your flesh. And no flesh can stand before God. I want to give you three illustrations. It says in Romans 12, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm glad it says the word body because it says everything that is in me, everything I bring to God. And as I lay it on the altar, everything that is of me is consumed in the fire. Even the good that's in me is consumed. The life that I live, I live by the power of Christ that is in me. Any other life has no value in the face of God. When you were a Christian and you went through the waters of baptism, it doesn't matter how virtuous your life was. He said, you know what I want you to do with your old life? I want you to bury it. Because it's of no value. You have to die. All that old life that you lived. And I'm not talking about the bad stuff. I'm talking about all the good stuff that you did. None of that is any good. Bury it. And when you come out of the water, my life will flow through you. So don't touch that old life again. Don't let those old virtues start to flow in your life again. Only let the virtue that is of God flow through your life. My third illustration is where we look at the story of Cain and Abel. Cain wants to give an offering to God. So he sows seeds in the ground. He waters them. He protects them from the birds. The seeds come. They bear a harvest. He cuts it down. He makes an offering from the seed. He might have even cooked or burnt the seed. And he presents it to God. God says, totally unacceptable, your offering. Why was it unacceptable? Because it came from his effort, his energy, his strength. He he, he, He wanted to do this. So the offering is unacceptable, so Cain is unacceptable. Abel, on the other hand, does absolutely nothing. God produced the lamb. God fed the lamb. God watered the lamb. All Abel did was cuddle the blooming thing. 
cuddle it. He never dug out the ground. He never drove the birds away. He never watered it. He simply cuddled this thing. And on the day of sacrifices, he simply slit its throat and offered it to God. And God said, that is an acceptable offering because it's me. It's all me. It's nothing of you, Abel. It's all of me. Cain's offering was all of Cain. You are useless and wretched and awful and terrible. You are. Only that which is of Christ operating through you is of any value at all in the eternal consequences of things. That's the illustrations, the three of them. They're very clear. Very clear. Remember that verse in Isaiah 64.6? Of course, you all remember it without even thinking about it. Well, you don't know the reference, and nor did I. It says, all of us, has become like one who is unclean and our righteous acts are filthy rags. All of your righteous, your righteous acts, that which you do is filthy in the sight of God. And it will be on judgment day. Only that which he does through you is acceptable. Only that is gold and silver. Only that counts. That part of your life that is being built must be built by the Holy Spirit of God. Everything that you do for him, there has to be an element of I can't do this. If you can do it, the danger is that you do it in your strength. I can't do this. But Christ lives in me. Therefore, I can do all the things that he is calling me to do and he is gracing me to do. And it requires faith on my part. That which is not of faith in your life, that which not did not require you to believe that Christ is in you, working in you, that which you did that did not require faith means nothing to God. Absolutely nothing to him. You say, I'm thinking of going on the mission field, but I'm terrified. Oh, praise God that you're terrified. I'm thinking of coming and working in, in the cafe, but I don't know if I can do it. Praise God that you don't know that you can do it. Oh, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give my time. I haven't got any time, but I'm going to believe and step out that God wants me to do this. Praise God. Don't shy away from the impossible. Embrace the impossible, because that's where God is manifested in your life. Don't do what's easy. Do what's hard. Do what's impossible to do in your own flesh. Oh, I don't like doing that. Good. Do it. Do it. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Do it. Do it. If you feel the prompting of the Spirit, do it. Do it. And I hope it is hard. I hope it is difficult. Let me show you this grace. See, there is grace 
in what you do for God. Are you living for God? I don't mean being nice and kind. Whatever God has called you to do, are you doing it? It might be, I don't know, called to head up a ministry, called to lead worship, uh, called to work on the PA, called to evangelize in your street, called to prayer, called call to look after an elderly relative, called to work in an orphanage, called to do it, called to do whatever he's called you to do. You must find out what his calling is on your life because it's only that which you can be rewarded for. You can't be rewarded for anything else. If I had a servant and I said to the servant, I want you to fetch the car and take me so-and-so, and I wait 10 minutes and I see him cooking dinner, I'm going to say, what on earth are you doing? He says, I'm cooking you a lovely dinner. I say, you stupid servant. I don't want a dinner. I want to go to that place. Now get the car and let's go. See, you can't dream up in your head what you can do for God. It's a waste of time. You have to do what he's called you to do. Don't waste any more of your life doing what you think you should do. And in doing it, it's got to be difficult and it requires the full grace of God to manage what you are doing. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 9. I want to talk about one of these uh, graces because there's grace for everything. Grace to love, grace to serve, Grace to find peace, grace to be patient, grace. It isn't natural, it comes by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. Note how many times this word grace is used. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of their most severe trials, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty, their world up, a rich generosity. See, they were, it was impossible for them to be generous. They had all this stuff going against them. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did this not, and they did not do, sorry, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring about to completion the act of grace. Titus had already gone to Corinth to teach them about the grace of giving. He says, go back and make sure this is complete. You've taught them properly. The grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Do you think you're generous? Is it by your virtue or the virtue of God's grace in you? We'll discover in a minute. I am not commanded, so I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus operated by the grace of God. A grace that was able for him to give all of his riches to you until he was absolutely poverty-stricken. 
absolutely had nothing. He gave everything he had away to us. These Macedonians did not give out of their natural generosity. It wasn't, oh, there's a great church in Macedonia. They're really generous people. You want to go down there and preach, you get a nice bit of dollar down there. No, 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 nothing to do with that. They were generous because of the grace that God was doing in their lives. It's nothing to do with their virtue or their goodness or their generosity, but it was the grace of God's generosity working through them. Verse 1, the grace that God had given them. God had given them this grace of generosity. Titus had started to show the Corinthians how to live by this grace that was from God. He said, you are, in verse 7, he said, you are to more than just give, but you are to excel in the grace of giving. That's not being generous. That is weird. That is excelling in the grace, in the grace of God that's operating in your life. And Christ is our example. He gave until he was poor all that he had so you could have everything. Do you know what he gave you when he died on the cross? He gave you his life. He didn't die for you like that. He made his life available to you so that when you put faith in his death, his life comes into you. Do you get that? He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He gave up his life for you. You have his life. Did you know that? We're going to move on. What does the grace of giving look like? How is it different from human virtue? It says they gave themselves first to the Lord. First to the Lord. He said, God, I yield everything to you. You do what you like in my life. I have no more plans. I have no more schemes. I have no more direction for my life. I want you to take control of me completely. I don't want to know where I live, where my children go to school. I don't care about these things. I want you to take my life and use it for your glory. Number two, it says, and then they gave themselves to Paul and to the others that were with him. You must give yourself to your brothers and sisters. You must. You can't live a selfish life. Because that's your virtue you're living out of. You must live out of his virtue and his grace. When you see a brother or sister in need, you must help them. You say, I don't know who's in need. Shame on you. Shame on you. You know why you don't know why they're in need? Because you never talk to them. You never spend any time with them. If you come to church on Sunday and go home, you'll never know the needs of your brothers and sisters. Ever. Ever. It's, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? You must spend time with them to know what their needs were. See, these believers in Macedonia knew the needs of Paul and they were seeking to meet his needs. I got needs. You come to me, I'll give you a list of them. You go, I'd love to meet your needs. But everyone here has a list of needs that if we have the grace of God to meet that need, we should meet it. We should meet it. Then they gave beyond their ability. What does that mean? They go, well, here's the tithe. 
but the rest is for me. Where do you get that from? They said, listen, we can afford to give you this to take to the saints at Jerusalem who are starving, but we're keeping this for ourselves. No, they said, listen, this is our rent. This is the money we're going to spend on our children's clothes. This is the money we're going to pay for food. Now take it all. You go, that's jolly generous of them. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God's generosity. If you think you've tithed and finished, you're joking. That is a virtue that is flowing out of your virtue, not out of the grace of God. Do you know what reward you will get in heaven for tithing? Nothing. It will be consumed by fire. Because the only acceptable grace of giving that God has is you give everything, like the Macedonians gave everything, everything. You say, this is a good sermon, I love this one. (laughs) I've said before, you know, every one of you should empty your bank accounts once. I'm improving on this. Maybe you should empty your bank accounts Day after day after day after day, then you will know you're operating by the grace of God. To give a little is operating out of your virtue, not out of the grace of God. Do you agree? I know it's painful, but I said, do you agree? Okay, it's true, whether you like it or not. It's clear in the scriptures to us. And it says, they pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. Can you imagine Paul saying, this is ridiculous. You're poor people, you can't give this. You need this to take this back so you can buy some food and uh, mend the hole in the roof or whatever. They said, no, we plead with you. Please take the money, please, please, please. We want to share in the suffering with our brothers and sisters at Jerusalem, please take it. Pleading, they're pleading. So he took it. He took it. It was the grace of God in them. It wasn't their generosity and their kindness. See, God didn't take you to somehow polish you up and make you a better specimen. You were rubbish. He dumped you. He buried you. He destroyed you. And he says, listen, now I've got this empty shell of your life. I will put Christ inside you. And it's Christ that lives through you. That's the only life that's acceptable. Nothing of you was worth keeping. Nothing of you we could make better. Nothing of you we could polish it up. It wasn't possible. How do you recognize if it's your generosity or God's grace? What's the difference between the two? It's very simple. The grace of God has no limits. That's it. Of course it has no limits, because God had no limits, and Christ had no limits. It gives and gives and gives and gives, and loves and loves and loves and loves. You go, my patience has run out. Of course, your patience will always run out. Your love will run out. Your kindness will run out. Your generosity will love out. Your peace will run out. Everything, your faith will run out. Everything that comes from you will run out. But if it's Christ living through you, it will never, ever, ever run out. How do you get this grace then, Phil? I want this grace that flows and flows and flows. 
Hang on, listen to this. You've got it. What do you mean, I've got it? When you receive Christ, you didn't receive a concept or an idea or something he did in history. All of those things are true. But he came to dwell inside of you. Christ lives in you. He brought all his virtues with him. He didn't leave bits of him outside. His peace is in you. His generosity is in you. His kindness is in you. What did you say when you spoke to us? You forget? How can you forget you brought the word? Identity. Where's your identity? I hope it's not in you, because you're a mess. Your identity has to be in Christ. Christ in me. Christ in me. My identity is not in Philip, because Philip's useless. It's the Christ in me. And if I can identify with the Christ in me, I will never stop loving you. I will never stop being patient with you. I will never stop giving to you. I will never stop helping you. I will never stop loving you. I can't because Christ is my identity. He lives inside of me. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. You know this one well, but I'll read it to you. It says, I pray. This is Paul's second prayer. Randolph read Paul's first prayer to us in Ephesians. This is Paul's second prayer. Listen to his prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's Christ, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What does it mean to grasp it? It doesn't mean to understand it. It means to live in it, to grasp the love of God and to live in that love and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is Philip's version of that. Have the faith to believe that Christ dwells in you. It takes faith to believe that Christ lives in you. Have the faith to believe that Christ dwells in you. In all the fullness of God, in your inner being, through his spirit, that all his glorious riches are in you. Can you have the faith to do that? Can you believe that God in his fullness, in the person of Christ, dwells inside you? And the minute you accepted Christ as your saviour, he came in his full entirety into your very being, in the inner being of man. He will give you the strength and the power to live like him, not to be a polished up version of you, but to live like him. Christ's love is in you. A love that outstrips any human love, any love known to natural man. And it is God's love that is in you, because God himself lives in you. Oh, you go, that's all right then. Fantastic. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You will never say ever again, I can't do that for him. 
I've just run out of patience. I've run out of kindness. I've run out of love. I never want to see you again. Get out of my sight. You're operating out of your natural virtue, which is useless. You have to operate out of the love of God, the grace of God, the patience of God, the peace of God, the kindness of God that is living inside of you. But you do it by faith. Look for some really horrible people. Go out this week, the most horrible person you can find, and love them. Allow the love of God to flow out of your life to touch other people. Be in a situation where all, everything is falling in on you. Life is going crazy. And the peace of God flows through your life. You go, you end up laughing. It's so comical in the end. You go, is that your best shot, Satan? Is that the best you can do? Destroy everything of mine? Is that the best you can do? Steal everything from me? Is that the best you can do? I love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. So you better come back with something a bit more savage next time. Because that did not work. It didn't work for Jesus. And because he lives in you, it won't work against you. See, what he put up with, all that, and he drove himself to the cross, that's the life that dwells in you. Is that good news? That sounds like the gospel to me. That's not Jesus loves you, we're going to heaven. It's a bit more than that. It's about the life and the power that we have. This church should be the most vibrant, powerful, exciting church in West London. We preach it, you've got to live it. It's not that we don't preach it, it's you don't live it. So live it, live it. Live it to the glory of God. It is the gospel. It doesn't improve on this. If you don't take this and live it, there ain't nothing else. It is through the preached word of God that we live like Jesus and nothing else. Oh, I just do my little bit. Your little bit's useless. It's Jesus living through you that counts. The rest, your little bit in heaven, will be consumed by fire and you will stand there naked with nothing. But that which you live by the power of God within is gold tested in the fire. And when God looks at it with those eyes of his, it will stand the test of his fire in heaven. Oh, I want something, don't you, when you stand before him? I want something left. I don't want my life consumed by fire because it was all about my fear or my this or my that or my something else. Praise God. I want to look again at this grace of generosity. We're going to build a building here. I'm going to give one appeal and you've got to empty your bank accounts and put it in here. Don't fuss. Just operate on this sermon. Operate on this sermon. Okay. Two events in the life of Christ. A young man came to him. He was a precious young man because it said Jesus loved him. He said to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was before Christ went to the cross. So he said, you follow the law of God. He said, I've done this. I've done this. I followed the law of God. But there's something lacking in my life. 
you know what he's told him to do? You do know, don't you? Sell everything you have and give it to me. No, 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 no. This wasn't the prosperity sermon. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. What words of advice, eh? Are you putting money away for your elderliness just to make life secure? Be very careful. God could go, I don't want a penny in my life. I don't want any security in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Jesus will see me through to the end. I've paid every bill that's ever been presented on my mat and I will keep doing it until the day I take my last breath. Because God is faithful. He says to the young man, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. A couple of chapters later, we see the story of the widow's offering. I'm good on time here. The widow's offering. She comes with two tiny copper coins. She goes to the treasury and Jesus is there with his disciples. And he says, look guys, you watch this. Watch what goes on. And the rich come with their bags. And you know what it says? It says they threw it into the treasury. Can you see the grandeur? Whoa, see what I'm doing? Whoa, that's what I'm giving to God. It said the woman with the two mites, she placed it in the offering. There was nothing to throw. She placed it in the offering of God. The Bible says she put everything. I don't care if you're as rich as the rich young man. I don't care if you're as poor as this poor widow. You've only got two little copper coins. Give it all. Give it all. Not to give it all is not to live by the grace of God. It's to live by your generosity, which will not count in the final judgment. It said of the young man who could not do this, remember what it said? He went away sad. It doesn't say how the widow went home. I'll tell you something, she never went home sad. And she got a meal that night. And she got whatever needed to be done, done. Because God is good. He's faithful. That poor man went away sad. Did Jesus want him to be sad? No. He gave him the formula for total 100% happiness in his life. What's so striking? What is striking is that Christ expected them to give everything. He never goes, oh, look what that woman's given. He expected her to give everything. And the rich young man, he expected him to give everything. Why? Because God gives everything. Jesus gives everything. And if you're a child of God, you too will give everything. 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 Because it's in the nature of his children to give everything to God. Best off not be rich, eh? Best off being poor. It's easier to give everything if you're poor than if you're rich. That's for certain. Amen. Yes, Catherine, praise God. I'm glad I'm poor 
because my everything ain't a lot. When God made the earth, do you know what he did with it once he finished creating it? He gave it to Adam. Can you believe that? He said, see these animals, they're yours, you better name them. The birds, better name them and all. Fish in the sea, better name it. They named everything. Why? Because they owned it. Why do we give everything in the cafe away free? Why do we do that? We're just showing forth the generosity of God. It's not smart. He said, this is my cafe, and if it's my cafe, you do what I say, and I'm a generous God, so you better give it all away. People come and use these rooms. We don't charge. You give us something. We're not charging you. Never put rent on that bit of paper. Rent. Don't put rent. We don't charge you rent. This is a donation and a gift that you want to give. You want to give a gift, that's absolutely fine. It is the generosity. The generosity of God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. I wish I could give everything away. And people go and say, can we use your building? Of Yes, how much does it cost? Absolutely nothing. What do you mean? We're Christians. We're showing forth the generosity of God. We are a living epistle to this community of the generosity and the heart of God. So Jesus gives everything, God gives everything to Adam, and then when we get ourselves in such a state, he gives us Jesus. He had nothing else to give us. Jesus was born of God. Jesus came out of God, the only begotten Son of God. The only thing that was birthed from God was his Son. The rest was a created beings, created worlds, created universe. But this thing is precious. It comes from him. And he says, I will give him to you. To you. I can't give you any more than Christ. You go, oh, I don't know if I can afford this. Give it all. Give it all. Give it all. And trust him. See, the more you give, when you think on that judgment day, it will go generosity, tick. Grace, tick. Patience, tick. Love, tick. All of it. Long suffering, tick, 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 tick. Because I lived it through you. It says in John 15, 16, if we bear Christ's fruit, not yours, your fruit's mouldy and horrible. If we bear Christ's fruit in our lives, then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in his name. Praise God. See, that widow gave everything. She bore the fruit of Christ in her life. So she went home and she discovered that her neighbour had come in. This is my version of the Bible. She discovered that her neighbour had come in and cooked a lovely meal for her. And she said, all that's left over, you can put it in the freezer for tomorrow. (laughs) Ask whatever. She was going home and thinking, I was going to buy something with those two copper coins, but God, now I've given it to you. There's nothing. And God's smiling and saying, don't worry about that. I'll give you a dinner that was better than two copper coins, love. I will watch over you and I will take care of you. Last bit. Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. It says... If we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy unto pleasing to God, and be renewed 
by God, we will discover what is good, is pleasing, and his perfect will is. So you say to yourself, I know what that means. I start off with the good. So I give a little bit, and I see this is all right, so I give a little bit more to discover it's pleasing, and then I can give my full tithe to know it's perfect. Bunkum. The good is everything. You give everything from day one. You give everything to God. But you go, I know this is good, but it hurts. And then as you keep giving and giving, you go, actually, it's quite pleasant. I'm not without anything as I keep giving. And then as you go on giving everything, giving everything, you get to the end and you go, woohoo, this is smart. I give it all. You don't even think of holding it back. You see, the Macedonians, as a church, had received the grace of giving, and so they gave it all. Even though the preacher said, no, take some of it back, they said, we insist that you have this. That's what's going to happen at Hope. When we renovate this building, the giving is going to empty bank balances. You are going to give beyond what you're able to give. Now, that's a faith statement. I believe in you. I believe in you. And I don't think God would disappoint you for one second because you're operating by the grace of God. And when you stand before that judgment seat on that appointed day, you will have learned the grace of giving, the grace of loving, the grace of patience, the grace of all the graces, because they will be Christ's life flowing through you. I said it was important, didn't I? God bless you all. Thank you very much, Phil. That was challenging, but by God's grace, we can do it.